Let the church say amen. Amen. It is always good to be in the house of God. Um, as we were worshiping in music, I, I must admit the, the last song uh, took me back to the Titanic those last minutes. And I was like, thank you, Jesus, that we don't serve a God that sinks. You know, so I was very, very um, glad to know that I serve a mighty God. A God who is faithful, a God who does not forget his children and does not forget down to the most minimal of prayer requests. Um, Michaela, thank you for the song. It was beautiful. Uh, this week, this past, this last week, we were, um, I preached on the Samaritan woman. And I hope that uh, what you captured from that story is that there are encounters that we have with Jesus that can transform our lives. And I hope that this week, as I challenged you, as I challenged you last week, that you were praying for these encounters to find Jesus in spaces where you didn't think you can find him because there is a word that he has for his people. This uh, next couple of weeks, as I mentioned last week, is that we are in a series in which we are looking at the word engagement. In other words, being involved in God's kingdom, being involved in God's church, being involved in God's work. And this week, this week, um, I want, I'm going to be speaking on a very familiar text once again. Uh, before we start, I just want to invite you all to just bow your heads with me one more time. Holy Spirit, rain down. We want to stand on your word, God, and not of an opinion of a man. And so we just pray for your spirit to move in this place as it has, but more so in an intimate way that you would come and dwell within us, each one individually, that your word would speak to each one of us as an intimate conversation. So we stand in your presence, we sit in your presence, asking, believing that you, God, will do your thing and your people will respond. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the text this morning, if you have your Bibles, if you have your devices, I ask you to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll be reading from verse 14 to 18, and then verses 26 and 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 to 18, and then verses 26 and 27. I am reading from the New King James Version this morning. And the word of God reads, For in fact... The body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now 
God has set the members. God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. This morning I've entitled my sermon, Teamwork Makes God's Dream Work. In 1992, the United States men's Olympic basketball team, nicknamed or dubbed the Dream Team, was the first American Olympic team that featured NBA players. The team had been described by journalists around the world as the greatest team ever assembled. The roster included such names as Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley. These are names that would sound familiar to all basketball followers. And, the, and we're told, or as we saw, that they dominated that year in the Olympics and they took home the gold. Then in, tw- 20, in 2004, the U.S. men's Olympic team again qualified to go to Athens. And although they were favored to win, they came home only with a bronze medal. And so in 2008, when the Summer Olympic Games were in Beijing, China, America, American basketball wanted to redeem itself. For the game had changed, and now they wanted to take it back. And they were dubbed the Redeem Team, as an alternative to the 1992 Dream Team and as a reference to the disappointing bronze medal of 2004. And this team included players like Jason Kidd and LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and the famous now-deceased Kobe Bryant, who was the captain. And the famous coach... And you're going to have to forgive me if I don't say his name right. Mike Chevchesky from Duke University. So all of these players had been handpicked and pulled together to win a gold medal for the United States. But as any leader can tell you, when you have the most talented and skillful of players... Um, sometimes you don't end up with a team, but you end up with a lot of individuals who are only scoring and looking for their best interest. But the coach had demanded of this team that in order for them to be a functioning team, they had to have commitment. The story is told of a young woman who wanted to go to college and Uh, Her heart sank when she was reading her application, and the application asked, are you a leader? Being both honest and conscientious, she wrote, no. And she returned her college application expecting the worst. To her surprise, she received a letter from the college that said, dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year, that our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. <laughs> there, are ma- there were many, many problems plaguing the Corinthian church. And someone had written to the Apostle Paul and told him all about it. 
And then Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, which addresses many things, but I think we can reduce it to these two points. There was division in the church as well as unprincipled behaviors. The Bible says that people were fighting one another. They were suing one another. Church members, family members were sleeping with relatives. And the church had been tolerant about these behaviors It goes on to say that they were arrogant and they were arguing like which was the coolest pastor who had baptized them. And the church itself was just satisfied with itself and it didn't seem to feel that it needed to make any changes. And so Paul writes this letter and he uses the analogy of the human body to teach about teamwork. And so I was very, I I appreciated the analogy because as I looked and studied about what the human body can do, it was no surprise to me that Paul would go ahead and use it as an example. You see, the average heart will pump about a thousand gallons a day. And that's about 55 million uh, gallons in a lifetime. And that's enough to fill 13 super tankers. It never sleeps and it beats about 2.5 billion times in a lifetime. It contains 2,000 genes that can be uh, rolled up into a nucleus. And if you put it into nucleuses and as you would a fishing string, it can roll out about 30 miles of fishing line. To write about the information about the human body, it would take about 300 volumes And each volume would be about 500 pages thick. The human body is a phenomenon. It is something exceptional. But at the same time, it is something that each of us probably don't give too much thought to of how easily it can work. We don't think about that our blood, we need blood, we need oxygen in our blood in order to function And so Paul is using the idea of the body to illustrate teamwork and a way to teach that everyone is a part of a team, no matter their gender, their ethnicity, or their skill set. Bench warmers and subs are not required because in the body, as in a community, you function together. And when one part of the body misfunctions, someone else steps in to take its place. This is community. And in order to have this kind of community, you need connectedness. And this is only, and community really is only brought about as you and I spend time in life together, whether that's hanging out, whether that's doing VBS, whether that's working side by side. And the church of Corinth had had this example that they could reference because it was the church of Acts that created this model. They were living not for themselves. They weren't committed to their own ideas. They weren't committed to their own way of worship. They weren't committed to the favorite song or the favorite preacher or the favorite political party. They weren't committed to anything other than the point that Jesus was the Messiah and that they were to work towards the goal of sharing the gospel. And the reason that they could accept this radical way of living, because the Bible tells us that they sold their property and put it in a pot. And anyone 
who needed money or anyone who had a need, this community would come together and provide. And I believe that the reason that they could accept this radical idea was because it was something that Jesus modeled. He had spent time with his disciples and he had eaten with them and talked with them and he created a community. And when I thought about this word community, I have to go back and look at the scriptures. Community, I found, is a value that God had. If we go back to Genesis, we see that it is in community that God begins to create. The Bible tells us in Genesis that it was God and the Holy Spirit that were present, and so was Jesus. But God, it wasn't that God needed community, but it tells me that God wants community. There is something important about people coming together and living life and creating something that bonds us. And perhaps, perhaps, perhaps this is the reason why, why the Bible really speaks about separating, not separating ourselves from community. You see, Satan, the, we're told in the Bible that, uh, Jesus, that Satan goes after Jesus when he's baptized and he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and Jesus is exhausted and ravenous. And it seems that Satan thinks that if he can get Jesus on his own, he can go ahead and take him out. The Bible describes Satan like a roaring lion who prowls around relentlessly and like very stealthily looking for someone to devour. In other words, the devil looks for you and I when we are not connected to community. That is why the community is so important. But when you're in community, it's harder for the devil to come after us. I saw a video that was taken at Kruger National Park. And there were these four four or five buffaloes walking uh, near some water with a tiny calf. And as they were walking in this direction, they encounter a pride of lions. They stare at each other for a brief moment, trying to, trying to size each other up and decide who is going to act first. And all of a sudden, the lions just pounce. The buffaloes take off running in all kinds of directions, and the little calf, goes off on its own. And all of a sudden, these five lions have tackle this little calf into the water. And the calf is trying to stay into the water. The lions have it by its, all over its body and they're trying to pull it out. And the calf is just staying there. But all of a sudden, there is a shift in the action. The calf is now wanting to get out of the water because as soon as you notice that that, that the animal is moving up into the shore, you notice that there is an alligator that is clamped down to the back of the calf. See, sometimes that is what happens to us in life when we separate ourselves from community. Life will get a hold of us and it will clamp down really hard. And the next thing you know, other problems start attacking you and you have somebody biting down on your head and biting down on your feet and you have no idea what to do and you're wrestling with these issues because you've separated from community. 
It's not until then that the, that the alligator realizes that it is not compatible to pull that animal in and it releases the, it releases the cat, but now the cats have pulled it up onto the dry land. And it looks like the calf is about, it, it looks like the cat is really just, I mean, the calf is going to just die if it's not dead already. But out of the corner of the camera, you see, you see this, this buffalo coming. But it is no longer four or five buffalo, but about 50 buffalo. See, these buffaloes are coming back for what belongs to them. And so the buffaloes come over and the prides of lions automatically just encircle this poor calf. They're protecting their prey because they're not going to let their meal go without. And all of a sudden, these buffalo, there's about 50 of them, ride all around them. And the lions, again, they're, they're checking out the, 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 the buffalo to see what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, one of them just charges and picks up one of the cats and tosses it up in the air. And that's when you see the little calf kind of move and jump up because it seems to notice that someone has come to its rescue. The bulls start, the, the water buffaloes start to stampede, the cats are scattered, and this little calf runs into the center of these 50 bulls. You see, when you and I are being attacked by the enemy, sometimes we have to run to the center of our community in order to find safety. The, the calf must, musters up enough energy and it is able to run and they push the, and they push the cats out of the way. And that's what we need to do when we feel attacked. Because when Satan has a hold on us, church family, it's not enough to just be released by him. We have to push him out into dry spaces. You see, it is because it was a sense of teamwork of these bulls that came together to look for what was theirs that they could rescue this animal. And that is what is happening in the church of Corinth. There is a lot of disconnect happening in the church. And someone has written to Paul because they need a word in order to get them back in line. Psychology Today writes an article that, that's, that's entitled, Too Many Leaders Spoil the Group. And the, re- the researchers studied uh, what happens when two, group leaders, when two groups come, of leaders come together. And what they did was they separated these two groups into, uh, into, into three sets of two. And they gave them a project to go ahead and build, build a tower with um, toothpicks and candy. And after they watched the groups do, their, do this research, they separated those that were leaders who took the initiative from those who were not leaders. And they decided to uh, put them into separate projects. The three groups were divided into two groups with higher power leaders and lower power leaders, and they were asked to create a business. After the study was done, what they found was that leaders had a harder time being creative and coming up with a business plan, while it was the lower-powered people who generated more creative ideas because there was not this power struggle. The Corinthian church had bought into this idea that some people were more important than others. By using this analogy of the foot and the hand in the ear, Paul is tapping into this idea that the, the Corinthian church thought that people, some people mattered and some people didn't. 
And we see this false narrative in our same culture today. It's the haves and have-nots. And Paul, what he's saying to the church is, this isn't the way things are supposed to work. And this is, this is not the culture that you are to have. You see, the culture of a Christian church is not to be independent, but to be codependent. Codependent in the sense that as a community, we come together. As a community, we work and strive for the same goals. And this is a really a hard lesson for us to learn simply because we are much more an individualistic society than we are a community. There are many here who are listening to uh, this sermon or perhaps watching online, and you are a person that you feel that the church has hurt you. You feel like, I can't go back to that place because the church has done this to me and has and done that to me. And I am here to remind you, you do not, you do not serve a, a, a denomination, but you serve a king. But here's the thing about all of this, about really trying to strive to be a community and all and how difficult it can be. It is the verse that I lean into oftentimes when I'm challenged. The Bible says that it is, it is, that it is through Christ that all things are possible. In other words, we're not to be dependent on ourselves to strive to be a community of people. The, these, this teaching is, it is to, for us to depend on Jesus' way. As we trust in Jesus' pro- process, this selfless service part starts to come out within us. One of the things that the Redeem team did while they were in through the Olympics and practicing together was they had uh, various speakers come in and teach. And they had a general come in, and he had been in Afghanistan. And, this, and he was explaining to these players that uh, once, they were, once they were on a battlefield, it wasn't about being an individual It was really about being selfless and looking to the other person and to make sure they were okay. And one of the gentlemen who came and spoke, he had been in Afghanistan and had been in an ambush, and he had lost all his eyes. He had lost both sight in both of his eyes. And the general said to the team of athletes on the battlefield, it's about selfless service. It's not about an individual but about a collective team striving for a goal. Those athletes for the 2008 Winter Olymp- uh, Summer Olympics, they were striving for a gold medal. But I'm here to remind us as a church that we are here striving for eternity. Our mission, our mission and our goal is to serve and to share the gospel with all those around us. And what that takes is that we need commitment and commitment means denying what we want you and i are not in a battlefield in afghanistan but we are in a cosmic battlefield today where enemies are not visible and tangible but we know that there is evil that exists in the world but it is as we come together as a community as a group of people being involved in sharing this gospel and being involved in the church that we are a team that seeks to make god's dreams come true the church hasn't always gotten it right the church has been it can be divisive and it can lack the representation of jesus 
But you know what? It's the vessel that Jesus has chosen to be the example of what, of who he is. We're reminded by Aristotle that he says that it is the whole that is stronger than the sum of parts. Meaning, as individuals, we can get, we're not as strong apart as we are together. But this is what we do. We come together, not to just, the church will, the church will not always get it right. It hasn't always gotten it right. It hasn't always been on the side of the oppressed or the marginalized. But because it is not, not because that is what God wants, but it is because it is run by humans. However, if you and I get involved in this work together towards community, commitment, and self-denial, Jesus will do what he said he would do. The church will stand up for its oppressed. The church will stand up for immigrants and injustice. And the Bible says that if we do this together, not even the gates of hell will take out God's church. And then in verse 18, I call it the hinge verse because everything lands on this one verse here. It says, but God, but now... But now, in other words, up to this point, everything that Paul has been talking about to the church and has been going about their issues and their problems, this is just advice and counsel. But now, he said, there's a real solution to this problem. He says, God has set. The original audience would have gone back to the creation story and remembered that it was God who set the stars and the moon and the sun in the sky. It was God who set into motion the organization of, of chaos. It was God who set the waters to stand up on the left and on the right of the Israelites as they walked to the other side of safety. You see, it is God who sets up lights, who sets up darkness, and he sets up separations between land and sea. If you're here this morning and you feel that God is not listening, God is setting things up for your life. God has set up members in the body of Christ just as he pleased. That means that God is sovereign We may not get everything right, but God is sovereign and he's in control of all the parts. He's a God of unity and he's the one that will bring us all together. But you and I have to be committed to a community and to participate in the work of his kingdom. Not all of us are gifted in the same way. Not all of us can do the same things, but it is necessary for all of us to be a part of this kingdom separated from God, separated from a community, we will have challenges. Be involved in God's work because despite of our lack of abilities, he's able to do more and abundantly than we could have imagined. He's the one that brings unity to this body. And that's not to say that we all have to agree the way things are done. He, he, but it is to say that we all are aligned in the same goal. We're all looking for the same vision and mission. The Greek word for the word one in, in verse 18 um, is hen. And what it means is to be united in will and in spirit. So it doesn't matter that there are many members, that all of us can have different thoughts. 
But the one thing that does unite us is the will in spirit to follow what God has called us to. Another way of saying it is that we're in solidarity. Uh, we're in solidarity with this great truth of what God has put in front of us. We're to be in sync with God in the same way that Jesus was with the Father. This doesn't mean, like I said, that we do everything the same way. It doesn't mean that we think all alike, but it does mean that we, that we are in solidarity for that one goal. Being involved in God's dream is part of our call. And finally, in verse 26 and 27... Uh, Paul touches on something that is, I felt, that just really touched my heart. It just spoke to how we live in a world that is challenging, but, it every, but with God, all things are possible. Paul says that in this, Paul says that in their experience as a team, they will have challenges. He says sometimes if one part of the body hurts, all parts of the body will hurt. Some of us sometimes think as we, as we, as our Christian experience that we will walk through this life and because we're part of God's body, because we're doing the mission, that things, bad things won't happen. But Paul is telling us, no, as Christians, expect the suffering and learn from this process. But he also says, you know what? As a body of Christ, you will also, you will also experience joy Jesus had talked about it. The apostles had went through it. But as we experience these difficult times, we know that as we die in Christ, we will also live. Paul is talking about a collective or communal joy, which our current culture says, which our current culture sometimes doesn't actually project. Because when was the last time you saw two sports teams uh, be excited for the other one's uh, win, especially when someone has lost? Paul is pushing up against this idea of thinking people are to be a community, and if they are a community, they will be committed to one another. For Paul, he found community in relationship. People would work together as partners. People would show their love and kindness it was with people that he felt joy and laughter and cried with. And finally, Paul just says, you are now the body of Christ, members. And Paul boils down his, this, this section of his letter, and he boils it down to tell, reminding the church that we are the representatives of him on this earth. You see, now Christ lives in you and he lives in me and it is because he lives in you and me that you and I can be a community that works towards God's kingdom. If Christ lives in me, then I can do whatever it is he's calling me to do in the work of the church. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ. But what Paul is reminding his audience at this time is that it is to be committed in community and that is the way that you and I, or they would get the work done in Corinth. The same applies to you and I this morning. We are his representatives. And Christ does live in each and every one of us. He is calling, he is asking us to partner with him in this dream 
of sharing the gospel throughout the entire world. Because it is that dream, it is that dream that will usher his coming into this world. I don't know about you, but I, I want to go home. I don't want to stay here anymore. I want to be able to meet Jesus on that sea of glass. I want to be able to worship in his presence and be able to talk and sing and worship him and share my stories and hear his stories and ask him all the questions that I've been holding in that nobody else would be able to answer. But church, it's, it's going to take a community. It takes a community to do the work that God has called us to do. And what I love about the, this gospel, about sharing the community is that you and I will be transformed. We will become selfless. We will think about other people more than we think about ourselves. What kind of an impact could we make if we thought about somebody else before we thought about what we want? But that is what Jesus, that is what Paul was looking for in using the analogy of one body, all in sync, all doing their job, all for the same purpose. I want to challenge you this week to think about how you can be effective in God's work in this kingdom. We all have a part to play. There's nothing, there's no greater roles, there's no smaller roles. We're, we are all needed in order to do this work. So I ask you to just bow your heads with me as we pray and close. Heavenly Father, I pray for your spirit. I ask Jesus that through these words that your spirit is speaking to each one of us about how we can be involved in the work of your kingdom. I pray, God, that you would move us and press us. I pray that you would be gentle, but at the same time, nudge us when we're afraid. I pray, God, that as we come together as a community of believers, as this body that represents Jesus, that this church, would blow up, not just to have people, but to have workers for the kingdom that would make more workers for the kingdom and make more workers for the kingdom. That people of Rockland would look and say, man, those people reflect who Jesus is. But we can't do it without you. And you want us to be a part of this. So help us, Lord. Give us the courage. Let us remind us that we can trust you, that even though we're not fully equipped sometimes, you will equip us as we go. This is my prayer in the name of the Son, the Father, and Holy Ghost. Amen.
With all 
To the King of Kings. We thank you, God, because you are who you are. And out of grace and mercy, you saved us for the purpose. Bless us now as we go out of this place. May the word go with each person. And may your Holy Spirit keep us until we meet again. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. You, worship continues with our Sabbath school classes or our study classes that you see right here listed up here. Um, we invite you to stay and continue in your worship experience. Thank you for join, joining us online, and we look forward to seeing you again next Saturday. Spirit rain now rain now oh comforter and friend how we need your touch We stand.